This week on PlayStation Rumble for our one year anniversary, Jamie sleeps with his nightlight on as his restless dreams haunt him while we discuss survival horror paragon Silent Hill 2. Hello and welcome to PlayStation Rumble. My name is Jamie and I am joined as always by Tony. Happy birthday. And Joshua. Happy birthday, I guess. (laughs) And if you can hear an extra spring in my step, it is because it is our one year anniversary. We made it, guys. The haters say we couldn't do it, but we did it. Where are they now? Not watching. Literally tens of people a week prove them wrong by tuning into PlayStation Rumble and having a listen. As is tradition of one year, we are doing our Halloween episode and I'm very excited that we are playing a very special game this time, which is going to be Silent Hill 2. If you want to skip straight to that discussion, it will be, uh, the timestamps will be in the show notes as usual. Our next game uh, is Joshua's pick and he's given me a break from the horror by picking Bioshock. Very different genre of game. It's not, Bioshock is not scary. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. Editors note, uh, he says he's very excited, but he's not very excited. Not at all. No, I'm not anticipating how how scary that game's going to be as well. <laughs> it won't psychologically scar you, if that's what you're asking. No, I bet it's going to have a couple of jump scares in it, though. But it won't put you into a deep depression and make you uh, analyze your life choices. I've been doing a lot of that this week, but before we get onto that, it's time to find out what we've been playing, and I'm going to start this week. As I said last episode, I've got a PS5, Woo. so I've really, I know, right? So I've really been trying to capture just the sheer power magnitude of this console in a in a in a library that's looking a bit sparse of examples of why the game's so good. Uh, but unfortunately, one of the first game I've genuinely uh, decided to play is Bug Snacks. <laughs> <laughs> that is a game that could only run on the true power of the PlayStation 5. <laughs> never possible on the PS4. Ne- never possible. I was thinking about the launch of the PS5 and what games were kind of exciting people at the time. And of course, Bug Snacks was one of those sort of weird indie runaways. I think mainly because of that uh, reveal for it with the song. It was quite good marketing. Guys, I do not know who this game is for, but it's not for me. Uh, how, how did you find it? I had the exact same experience. I played it for two hours and I got bored. I, I'm not saying it's a bad game. It resonates with a lot of people. It did not resonate with me. It 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 didn't grab me, so I I bounced from it pretty fast. Yeah, I uh I had downloaded it because I had no real PS5 games at the time, and I played for a little bit. It was fine. Uh, I never went back to it, but it was okay, I guess. The reason I say I don't know who it is for is because. Like the humor is, it hasn't got that kind of adult sharp biting edge to it, but nor is it kind of for kids. I mean, there's a lot of stuff about like this guy who's, uh, him and his wife are estranged and they're going through quite difficult times, but not in like a really sort of like Simpsons way. I just, I don't know who the humor's supposed to hit and the puzzles are not engaging. They're just kind of either by the numbers or a bit, I'm not going to say obtuse, but, uh, just bland? I feel really bad for saying that, but there, it is bland. And I'm so proud of myself. I got 80% of the way through this game 
because once I start on a path, I'm usually like, I'm going to complete this game. But I got 80% through this game and I stopped and I've quit it. I've quit it 80% through, which is real like personal development for me to just go, actually, why are you playing something if you don't enjoy it? Just feel some needless. Do you ever get that? Like the sort of the weird, I've got to finish the game for finishing its sake. Yes. I, uh, I went through that with, uh, Mafia 3. I'm at the end and it's just not ending and I don't want to play it anymore. When you're a child and I would get a game for like my birthday or Christmas, it was usually the only game I would have for a time. So it was sort of play that and that's that's all you get. So you play it front to back, you play it upside down, you play it backwards. You basically dive into whatever games you got. Didn't really bounce from games because it was either a game every six months or no game at all. But now that I'm older and I make money and I have consoles and whatnot, I have a lot more games to play. And the only way to keep myself from feeling like getting through a backlog or playing a bunch of classics, to keep that from feeling like a chore, I just have to sit back and ask myself, am I having fun? And if the answer is no, then I'm not playing it. I think you're really right. Like, when you're younger, you have all the time in the world and not, not a lot of money in terms of resources. But as you get older, it's the switch, isn't it? You know, you have a job, you have more money to play games. There are more services now like um, Game Pass and uh, PlayStation Plus that kind of give you this Netflix library of games. But what you don't have is time. Like time is such a valuable resource and that is what you are wasting when you finish a game. So I took that as a real win this week. Tony, have you been having more success? Yeah, I... Uh... I think an episode two ago, I mentioned I started playing Ghostwire and I beat it. Uh, I platinumed it and it was the most unfulfilling platinum I've ever gotten. <laughs> Doesn't it always hurt? You get a platinum and it just feels not good. I only have a handful of platinums and I got it because the game is all right. But all the complaints you might have heard of about it being, you no know, should have been shorter, should like, there's a lot of stuff, like too much stuff. and. Throughout the game, you know, you have to find these gates and then you have to um, bless them or whatever the fuck you do in that game. I, I just finished it a couple weeks ago. I, re- I really don't remember. So you have to uh, you have to find the gates and clear them basically like in, only, in any little Ubisoft game. And at first it's fine. But then there's a certain point where they show you the map and like 12 of them pop up at one time. And I was just, oh my God. And I was like, okay, I'm still enjoying it for the most part, but... It took me 40 hours to get the platinum and it was just so unfulfilling. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to bring it up. <laughs> I finally, like when I finally got the platinum, you know, I've gotten platinums in the past, you know, like I said, a handful. And I'm like, okay, cool. I got it. Cool. Mission accomplished. Just to get it. I'm just like, nice. You know, it sucks. You know, I, I feel like I wasted my time. Otherwise, cool game. Uh, I mean, visually at least it looked great it's just they could have cut literally half the game half that content they had of that filler open world content and it would have been a better game for it there's no reason for it to have that much content there's no reason for them to put that much padding because they made the evil within 2 which is a semi-open world game has open world you know areas and stuff and that was done really well for a reason they just went overboard then you get to the last two chapters, and the last two chapters are like 10 minutes each, and the game is over. So I don't know. It should have been like all the complaints were it should have been linear. It should have been more linear, and they were absolutely correct. 
The game would have been better for it. Like, visually, it looks fucking fantastic. Anyway, I don't want to talk about the game anymore. So, Joshua, what's on your plate right now? Like you, Tony, I was, I've been kind of bouncing around for a while. I ended up playing Parkasaurus, which is a zoo management game uh, entirely with dinosaurs, and you can give them funny hats. I'm a longtime fan of the classic Zoo Tycoon games, so it is definitely scratching the itch that has been long left behind. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're a longtime fan of uh, funny hats. Yeah, that is also true. As a, as a connoisseur of funny hats, this game is right <laughs> up my alley. Um, the, the thing I'm thinking immediately is that Jurassic Park uh, sort of park manager. Yeah, Jurassic World Evolution. How different is it to that? It's it's quite a bit different, actually. The thing with Jurassic Park Evolution is I don't think that the game was particularly all that intuitive. There's In, in terms of progression with that game, there's just not a lot to work toward. So a lot of times, the way that the game is designed, you just kind of make a big exhibit, you throw a bunch of dinosaurs in there, you, throw, you plot some buildings down, and there's it's almost like a watered-down version of it, and there's not a whole lot you can do in it. So I was never really into Jurassic World Evolution as a, as a, as a park simulator. But Parkosaurus, you have a lot more freedom. <laughs> Shut up. It's awesome. I love the name. I really love the it's name. It's a great name. But you have a lot more freedom. There's a lot of dinosaurs to choose from, and, and they really go down the list of different kinds of dinosaurs. You have to dig for their fossils. You have to get their the correct climate. And there's a lot of quality of life changes that just make the game easier or simpler to understand. Um it's not it's not without a few flaws, but overall I think it's a pretty it's a pretty solid time. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. The last game I've been playing, I actually just started this yesterday, is a Plague Tale Requiem. Oh. I did something I've never done before, and I bought a recently released game on PC and was playing it. And so far, I'm only a few hours in, but just the the scale that that they've taken the first game into the second game is noticeable like it's a noticeable step up in the production value in the size of the levels in the amount of options you have when during combat slash stealth encounters and i'm i'm thinking i'm really gonna enjoy that one for sure i really thought after we played it uh the other week for the podcast my general feeling was i wish that team had had a crack at a new ip and done something exciting and new rather than i felt like it was complete enough and they'd sort of learned a lot of good things from it and it was a really good stab I'd, I'd, I'd much prefer for them to just go and have a stab at something even you know the next step of something cool rather than bring that story further but are you are you happy they did um i don't know if i can answer that for sure i'm gonna have to see what the how it pays off in the end but what I will say is they've translated the gameplay from the first game, but they've also made some tweaks that are kind of ingenious. For example, uh, instead of a skill tree where you get upgrade points and you spend them, how it works is you have three different um, categories for Amicia, and it's combat, stealth, and opportunist, I think. So like with tools and stuff, you don't get skill points instead how you approach 
encounters, like if you stealth through them, or if you just go in with your sling, depending on how you approach that, you'll fill this meter and you'll unlock more skills for it automatically. Oh, so it's more like a kind of like a ARPG where some of them have, if you use like a certain skill enough, it levels up on its own. Yeah, kind of, kind of like that. So I think it was, I think that was a really good change. It sort of makes you think more, it makes you think more actively about how you're approaching those situations. And there's a lot more tools at your disposal. The game is less, oh, here's, here's the solution. And it's more, you have all these tools and you have this area and here's the problem. You can kind of, you can use, you just use your knowledge of the systems and the items to solve it how you want in the best way you feel. So they kind of expanded more. That's kind of how the the first game was where there's a set way they want you, they want you to do it, but you could kind of just do whatever would work. Yeah. There's, there's more of that in, in this, in this game. I want to play. I was looking forward to it. I was going to try to save it for this podcast, but after the next episode, couple of episodes, uh, I think it's going to be a long time until we can get Jamie to play anything scary. <laughs> I'll survive uh, Plague Sale. I, I, I thank you, sir. And kind of point to Jamie's saying, uh, comment about it should have been a one and done. Uh, no. I think the op- the ending kind of left open enough to where I wanted to see where it was going to lead, and I'm very happy that there was a sequel because I love the first one if you haven't listened to the podcast. The one thing I will say is that it's not optimized super well. So if performance is a concern, play it on PC if you've got something strong. Because even on consoles, even on PlayStation 5 Series X, it's locked to 30 frames a second. Well, uh, I'll hear no tyranny about PCs on this podcast because we are a PlayStation podcast and we are a year old. And it is now time for a very low stakes quiz, which I am calling absolutely no jeopardy. I hope you guys have been paying attention uh, for the last year of the games we've been playing because here comes round one. How are you feeling, by the way, about this? Are you feeling confident? Why sh- we've, been, we've been recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always I'm always confident, except when it has to do with Metacritic. This is this is him getting back at us for never listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I ask you every week, guys. We need the numbers. We're gonna have three rounds in this round one. It's going to be quick fire, free questions about the games we have played. In May this year, we played first person, free running game, Mirror's Edge. But who was the protagonist in that game? Faith. Faith. Oh, Joshua got it by a hair's inch there. It's 1-0. Keeping score, Tony. I'm getting back at you for Metacritic. <laughs> Shit game real. You better be. I'm changing this to a lot of Jeopardy. A lot of Jeopardy. Question number two. In March of this year, we played Prince of Persia, but director Patrick Desolet went on to create which popular series? I don't fucking know. I'm going to say Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed is correct. Joshua is on the board of two points. Tony's sweating it now. The final yeah, I'm so sweating. sweating. He's yeah, sweating. I'm... For those of you listening, yeah. Tony's like sweating buckets. He looks like he's about to cry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sweating buckets because I live in Florida. <laughs> Final question for round one. Which game did Ben Studio create before Siphon Filter? Bubsy. 3D. Bubsy, Bubsy is correct. Joshua has sweeped that round three points. Round two. I'm going to read reviews 
for games that we have played. The first correct answer wins. You get one go each. Come in too early. You have less information to answer the question. Come in too late and your partner might steal it from you. So the first review goes as follows. This is a great game, a masterpiece. The graphics are simply amazing and are filled with visual beauty. The sound is amazing and immerses you into Blank's world. The story is nothing special. It's pretty good. The camera works with phenomenal flow perfectly. Stray. Stray's incorrect, Tony. You have to I have the, no clue. To the rest, <laughs> you have the rest of the review to do it. I love when it changes to a more cinematic view to not disturb the gameplay. The puzzles are amazing and require you to think. The combat is the weakest aspect and it's not all that fun. You get bored of it pretty quickly. Beyond Good and Evil? Beyond Good and Evil is not correct. Is it a Plague Tale? It's not. It is Prince of Persia. Ah, oh, dang. Oh. Number two. So zero points on the board for that. This game has been so much fun for me. The concept of the game has so much potential and it truly is a great experience. It's very refreshing to have a variety of colours in a game which has been severely lacking recently. Mirror's Edge? Uh, Mirror's Edge is correct. Tony is on the board with one point. Nicely done. Uh, last review. I've redacted some of this. Blank manages to create a realistic universe with luscious visuals, somewhat interesting characters, fun explorative gameplay. The plot of the game is fairly simple and most of the characters are one-dimensional. Jack, Jack and Dexter. Dexter. Was, that, was that you, Joshua? <laughs> you started celebrating. <laughs> I'm going to give a point. That was both of us at the exact same time. Exact same time. <laughs> it is now 4-2. Luckily for you, Tony, the final round is going to be who gets it closest and there will be double points for getting it bang on, which is what you're known for. It's time for who's the closest. We recently played Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, which was the seventh best-selling Metal Gear game. But can you tell me what the best-selling Metal Gear game is? Tony, I'm going to start with you. Oh, wait, I'm going to give you one second to think of your answers. Metal Gear Solid 2. Tony, you've gone for Metal Gear Solid 2. Joshua? I'm going to say Metal Gear Solid 3. Metal Gear Solid 3. Metal Gear Solid 2 is the best-selling Metal <sighs> Gear game after that is Metal Gear Solid 5. Really? I'm surprised 3 wasn't, wasn't like below 2. No, then it goes Metal Gear Solid, then Metal Gear Solid 4, then Metal Gear Solid 3. So Tony, you have two points, which makes it 4-4 four, four, with two more questions left. Apescape came out in which year? Joshua, you can go first. Which year did Apescape come out in? 1999. Tony? Uh, 98? Joshua, you are correct. That came out in 99, which makes it 6-4. Yeah. Final question. Each episode, we have arbitrarily rated the games we have reviewed in some sort of desperate oh, attempt yeah. of... <laughs> yeah, you know what's coming. Of, uh, of uh, credibility. I'm going to ask you now to think what you think our highest rated game is. There are two possible answers. Tony, what is your answer? Was it Stray? Stray's your answer. That's locked in. Joshua? Jack and Daxter. Jack and Daxter. There are two games we have rated highest out of all this time we've been together. The first answer is Edith Finch. If the second answer goes in Tony's favour, it will be a draw and we'll go through to a tie break. If Joshua is right, he has won the quiz. Tying for first with Edith Finch, our highest rated game is... 
Jack and Daxter, you've got it, Joshua. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I'm the PlayStation Rumble champion. I'm the true. I'm a true fan. It's nice of you to win something once in a while, Joshua. Really. I guess yeah. I guess it was the average yeah, but I guess I I felt like open straight. We but. I know I knew it was Jack and Daxter because I knew Jamie and I both gave it nines, and I don't remember what Tony gave it, but it couldn't have been lower than an eight. And I knew it wasn't. And I knew it wasn't Stray because I rated Stray lower. Stray came in at four, at fourth. It was fourth place. Siphonfield was last. No surprise. Well, now that as the victor, I think it's time that we get another score and see what we all give this episode's game Silent Hill 2 Silent Hill 2 is a survival horror game developed by Team Silent and published by Konami. It was released in 2001 for the PlayStation 2. You play the role of James Sunderland, who finds himself in the foggy town of Silent Hill after he gets a letter from his late wife telling him to meet her there. What he finds, though, is more than what he bargained for. Mmm, I tell you what, this game was more than I'd bargained for. And uh, <laughs> it was a game that was very successful. I think it's time we get down to some serious business. It's time for What's the Metacritic? Are we really doing this? That's some fair draft where, like, legit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Maybe we skip this. <laughs> just count him out. <laughs> like, I, I, I can tell you the score. I, can, I know the exact score. Just tell, just tell us what the Metacritic is, Tony. Just tell you us what the Metacritic is. Just do it, right? I want you to say it. I want you to say it. It's 89. And the Metacritic score is 89. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say it's a 90. <laughs> Feeling good about a 90. Well, we'll just have to wipe that from the record. It's very upsetting. Um, this game really, like, obviously got a lot of high critical and user reception. It was really highly seen. However, that always does leave a few stick-in-the-muds who feel very left out for not liking the game and become very resentful towards people that do. And I found one such person on the internet called Mike, who played this game in 2002 and gave it a 1 out of 10. And Mike wrote, This is the worst game I have ever played. When I read good reviews about it, I wonder if the reviewers actually played Silent Hill 2. Coming off of Metal Gear Solid 2, this was incredibly disappointing. If you are playing it, just run from the monsters because it's not even worth killing them. I cannot stand the graphics. If a chair was in front of a door, you would just open it. In real life, you would move the chair. <laughs> Walking down the street at night, all you could see were yellow lines on the road. How could anyone call this game good graphics? Silent Hill 2 is the absolute worst. Graphics stink. Control of the character stinks. I just don't understand the story after finishing the game. I'll give him credit. I don't understand the story after beating the game either. <laughs> so he's spot on there. Do you not? That was the thing I was going to take Lisa Umbridge with, to be honest. And to be honest, and he is right about the chairs. In real life, you would just move that chair out of that the way. Is, that is true. He was so close to saying, you know, that was kind of the point to run past the monster. <laughs> so he, close. Yeah, he, he, he was real close. He was real close to figuring it out. I think there's some validation in it. But I think we're going to have to start talking about this game to pick apart this review and find out if Mike was right. I think the first pressing question that we have to ask ourselves was, this is a horror game. 
Were you scared? I'm going to go last. Tony, were you scared? I mean, I have a long history of this game. Uh, it's actually one of the first PS2 games I bought. I bought this and Dot Hat, uh, and Dot Hat Infection. That's the first two games I bought from my PlayStation. PlayStation 2 is the first console I bought my own money. So was I scared when I originally played it? I mean, I'm not a very jumpy person when it comes to horror, but I mean, yeah, there's a few things that can get under your skin, especially at the time since when it was, when it was newer. Um, yeah, I mean, it knows how to get uh, one way or another it gets under your skin. All right. Joshua, were you, were you scared playing this game? I don't know that scared would be the appropriate term for me, but I would say I was constantly uncomfortable and uneasy. The game does a really good job of never making you feel safe because you never quite know what you're going to find pretty much every step you take every new place you go into and there were a couple times where something would catch me off guard i'm like oh my gosh like you turn a corner and all of a sudden boom pyramid heads there I'm like oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> that's horrifying i said more than oh my gosh i promise you that <laughs> um but you know even moments like some of the puzzles where you're just doing mundane things, just the general atmosphere of the game. I was constantly anticipating something to happen and I never felt safe. I never felt comfortable. It was just, it's just really uneasy from pretty much start to finish. I was shitting myself the whole <laughs> way through. This was horrible. We had, we met up earlier this week to talk, uh, uh, to have a chat and I, I don't think you guys, I've, you know, we've said I'm not great with horror games, but I don't think that has actually registered that I'm actually petrified of playing horror games. And when I said how scared I was, there was nearly disbelief. Tony, you were like, I mean, come on, man. But honestly, I've nothing in my life has ever been this scary. I've been run over and Silent Hill 2 is scarier <laughs> than that experience. I simultaneously was enthralled by this game and did not want to exist in it for one goddamn second. And I think that one of the biggest reasons for that is the sound design. Last week, Tony and I were chatting and I said, the only reason I think I'm going to be able to play this game is because it's older and therefore probably less effective at scaring you. And Tony said, this game's aged a lot better than you think. And you know what? The sound design really hasn't aged. And you're so right. The sound design is like, hasn't aged one fucking day since 20, 2001 or wherever this game came out. It is horrible. And it creates that uneasy atmosphere that you were talking about, Joshua, the whole way through this game. It's just this industrial, like metal scraping, hollow, like terrifying sound that follows you from the moment you turn this game on to the moment it ends. That was one of my favorite parts, honestly. I will never forget walking through town and you've got the fog and you're just hearing just this slightly arrhythmic noise in the background to where it's dissonant on purpose to just, it's almost like it's building up to something and you'd never quite know what because uh, it, it's just <laughs> it's just there to creep you the hell out. 
And it's very intentionally designed that way. And it was, it did a really good job. Because even, because I know in my head when I'm playing this game that I'm walking around in the town. I'm probably not going to find anything super dangerous out there. But just the the noises that you're hearing are constantly making me think otherwise. Yeah, there's also the um the fog that's almost suffocating. Yeah. You know, they did it to cover up the draw distance, but I mean, it just I know what's out there because I played it a bunch of times, but for someone like like you guys who've never played it, it's your first time playing it, you don't know what's in the unknown and it just such it does such a good job at both guiding you and also making you feel like you have no idea like you're expecting unexpected. It never happens out on the, in the outside world, at least, but it could. And that's the worst part of it. Yeah. And you never have, and the fog also hinders your sense of direction. Like you have a map and you can look at the map, but when you're physically walking around, you don't really know what the heck you're looking at most of the time. And so you're lost, you're isolated, you hear creepy noises. You hear creepy footsteps. <laughs> like I, I don't want to be. I really don't want to be here right now. There's like that squeaky wheel noise that happens for some reason. Yes. Like, what, what is all of this? <clears throat> then sometimes the monsters will come <clears throat> from under the car and then, or the launch from the trees. You both said something that makes my skin crawl. There, and the first thing is the footsteps. The footsteps. There's probably like. 40 different sounds your feet make on different surfaces and they're all creepy so even when you're alone and you're in the dark and there's not much music going on you always have you're just followed by your footsteps echoing for whatever environment you are and it's there to always remind you to fucking be very scared because that is a terrifying thing that follows you through the game this just in jamie's afraid of footsteps i I am now (laughs) (laughs) is one of the most successful parts of the sound design of the whole game. Every door, like everything is really like just grippingly disgusting in this game. Um, and Tony, I think you're so right about the fog that if actually that fog was lifted, the town itself wouldn't be very scary. Which in the, just to touch out you, the terrible remastered race of the PS3 just like removed all the fog and <laughs> to say the least. The I heard it was bad. I didn't, I, I haven't looked into how bad it is. They just took all the fog out. It was really bad. With with all the fog gone, it's a, just a very empty 3D environment, isn't it? It's just a very uh, empty GTA game. It was so poor and, you know, Konami should be embarrassed. Because <laughs> that was... Well, they should be embarrassed for a lot of reasons other than that. <laughs> That's one of the bigger reasons, because <laughs> just to say the least. I kind of went between thinking the fog was very effective to the fog's probably a little bit too much, and I actually can't see like one foot in front of me. I know that's probably by design. Yeah, it's almost frustrating, but at the same time, it's just like, holy shit, what's got there? But like I said, that was that wasn't very much intentional. I mean, it gets less and less, you know... I guess frustrating as you get to know the game, but especially in the beginning area up until you get to the um the apartment buildings, I think that's where it's like probably the worst. But like it was that was very much intentional. It was very very well designed. I think it's still it's still games 22, 22, uh, 20 something years old, and it's still just as effective as it was in two thousand one. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> the other thing about the fog is it gives Silent Hill this supernatural feel, as if something's physically not right with this place 
you you sort of you're sort of like questioning in your head where exactly am i like i'm in this town called silent hill but what what is it does does this town actually exist is is this is this even real yeah you get turned around and then you'll find like cracks in the street and everything like that weren't there before and it's just it's so well it messes with you psychologically so very well is there anything else we want to say about the mood? Yeah, I mean, we have, uh, you know, Akira Yamaoka. He's, you know, does, did the soundtrack. And it goes from very pleasant, like the main theme, which is called, uh, I think, Theme of Laura. And then you just have the industrial, like, Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails from 94 sounding that's just like, at the exact right time, just hitting there. And you just, <laughs> whatever's happening is twice as, you know, disturbing because of the soundtrack it's not subtle about that either is it so uh, either half the game you spent outside in these sort of fog ridden streets and the other half of the game is in uh inside areas apartments uh prison whatever have you and then narrow labyrinth kind of areas and they would be quite boring if not they don't have the fog to save them but they do have the music where like and as soon as an enemy comes up or as soon as you're about to come up to something that is unpleasant the soundtrack just goes from like four to about 40 and just kind of goes it is time to be scared there's like nothing subtle about it but every single time it made me jump out of my skin yeah less is less is more and so most of the time when you're only accompanied by the sound of your footsteps and the occasional odd noise when they when they ramp it up it's it's way more effective the other thing i want to i want to add before we move on is when it comes to the visuals there's a remake of this game coming out and one of the big pieces of discourse i've seen is people criticizing the some of some of the the graphical shift and you have the iconic image at the start where James is looking at himself in the mirror in the bathroom and like most of his most of his face is is dark and it's beautiful he waves his hand in front of his face it still looks good to this day yeah it's a it's beautiful imagery and people have been comparing that to cuz they do the same shot in the trailer for the remake and have expressed a lot of dissatisfaction with the new direction um, I don't really have a dog in this fight since I'm not a huge Silent Hill fan, but I did want to get Tony's thoughts about uh, about just that aspect of where the remake is, I guess. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say maybe this is early footage. Maybe it's still going to be worked on. But I just, James's face, man, I don't know what's up with it. That's like my main, my biggest, that's like my biggest complaint. He looks really sad now. He doesn't look anything, he doesn't look like, it's not my James, you know. James and Silent Hill too looked like Kiefer Southern. <laughs> that is true. And then it just—I guess since I played it so much, that's the face I see. And his new design, I don't—I can't say I'm a fan of it. It's like a weird aged Bowie in this one. And then there's also complaints about um, he's emoting a lot more. And then you know, in this game, in this, the original game, I guess we can say now, but he's very. Very not there emotionally, mm-hmm. and there's a point, and there's a point to that, and there's a point to that. And this time, he just seems people like he seems overly emote at the wrong times. But like I said, it's I'm trying to be uh, trying to take my emotions out of it because, like I said, I have a very I love this game. I fucking love it. I love it to death. So it's just it's un- it would be unfair to me to compare it 
right now until the final product comes out. Apart from uh, James himself feeling a bit off, and maybe this is me being less of a having less of an investment, I actually thought the trailer was quite good. I thought they hit tonally kind of the right feeling. I don't know that all this effort would need to be done for a remake because I would almost prefer them to just port the game to modern systems. I like we were talking earlier the the, the game at, at the very least in the mood department has aged extremely well and i think the game is still very effective so and the game's not officially available anymore and it hasn't been for a long time so why not just take the just take the original game and push it somewhere else honestly i i was genuinely just expecting it to be that sort of uh resident evil we're going to adapt it and sort of modernize it because i mean i know joshua you're saying it should be verbatim but there are definitely elements of this game that I think could do with a sort of a modern eye and sort of revamp it, uh, particularly like the gameplay. But before we get into the gameplay, I think it's time to talk about what's probably the most compelling part of this game, which is the story. All right, so uh, I guess now it's time to delve a bit into the story. Uh, we probably won't dig too much into it because there's so much that goes on. So <laughs> we ain't got time. <laughs> we ain't get. We have don't. We don't have enough time in a day to discuss. <laughs> We're not Silent Hill Rumble. <laughs> there will be spoilers, so if you haven't played this before, uh, stop this now. Can I just say as well before we start? I think it's probably important to add a trigger warning in there. That there are going to be like quite heavy themes of suicide and other such things. So if that's going to be a trigger to you, this is probably the turning off point. So there are all your warnings for the show. T, lead us off. How does this wonderful game start? Uh, beginning of the game, you see a gentleman named James walk into a bathroom, a rest stop. He looks in the mirror and he just kind of says this. And your introduction to him is him just staring himself in the mirror for whatever reason. Just very gloomy and bewildered, confused. And then you gain control of him and you walk out the, the rest stop. And you see his car parked and everything. And then he kind of just looks out and then he talks about how a letter from his dead wife starts being narrated saying, you know, James, I'm here waiting for you at a special place. You know, come and find me. And he says, you know. I got his letter from my wife. She died three years ago. She called me here. It's like, I don't know if this is real. Am I just going crazy? But, you know, I have to find her. And that's the beginning of the game. And then you're on your adventure. So let's start off, guys. How did that make you feel? Ten seconds into the game and you're already being terrified, Jamie? <laughs> I mean, I'm not terrified at this point, but I genuinely, I genuinely think this is one of the best opens to a game I've ever seen. That motivation to kind of like, there's such a sort of mystery around it. He obviously, there's a lot of emotion in him sort of holding his hand in front of this mirror, sort of coming to grips with something. And then the hook of his wife died three years ago and she's somehow written him this letter saying, I'm waiting for you in, in Silent Hill, this special place. This That hook instantly motivated me, instantly motivated me and kept me wanting to enjoy the story the whole way through this game. Uh, I, yeah, that's one of the sort of really special things that Silent Hill, I think, manages to do. It's really effective in that, like you were saying, Tony, how 
he he gets this letter and he's is this is this real is this is this fake and that really is the setup for this whole game because you're going through and you're following this plot but the whole time that very question is gnawing at the back of your head and the further you get into this game the further you're questioning what is happening is is any of this is any of this real what's tangible what's not all all those kinds of things and what really i think kicked it up from like a 10 to a 50 is the music the very mm, somber yes. very quiet beautiful but also haunting little piano theme and it's just it really sets that into the way the off-putting voice acting very often very dreamlike very whimsical very you know mysterious all the words, all the synonyms, you know, the, just the voice acting of him is just like, can you really be alive? And it's just so sounds so unnatural, but also so confusing and so sentimental. But it's just, it all just clicks. And that's Silent Hill right there. That's the game right there. That first moment, you it hooks you in and it just takes you on this wild ride. You, it's just you and James, man. You know, you're shotgun of James and you're with him to the bitter end. As you've talked about it, I think this is one of the really divisive points of the game, which is the voice acting. Now, some people think it's awful. Some people think it's purposeful and it's sort of creating this uh, mood and playing into the game. My take on it is James is genuinely just actually bad voice acting. I think there are really good bits of voice acting in this game. I think Maria is really good. Um, I think there are a few others that are really good. I genuinely think James lacks uh, any sort of... uh, well, the actor that is playing James uh, just doesn't get it and isn't and uh, like it's all off. I think there's a lot of weird moments that's created through editing, and if that's purposeful or not, it took me out of the experience more than it sort of drew me in and made me feel uncomfortable by it. But um, I think I think our lead guy here isn't isn't doing it justice, to be honest. Yes, there's some awkward moments that were probably weren't intentional, but hey, man, it's they're in a budget and a time they had to get it. You know, they had to get it. But I want to say that Silent Hill in general was greatly inspired by the one and only David Lynch. I was waiting for that. <laughs> big fan. And, you know, if you watch, if you watch an episode, any episode of Twin Peaks or any of his movies, majority of his movies, they all have this very strange and dreamlike dialect. And that's definitely what they were going for. I will say it works 95%, like 90% of the time, most of the time in the game it worked. Or like I said, there's some moments that weren't that great. Other moments, like I said, like Joshua said, Maria, fucking fantastic. Every delivery she did. Uh, Jamie said that. I didn't say that. I thought Jamie said that. Well, I'm sure Joshua agrees. I do. I do. I do agree. That is. That Tell is true. Bases. I do agree. Nice. Nice recovery. But I, I literally, I got that Tim Peaksness and that weirdness with Maria, and that really felt good and came off well. But with James, it just felt like he was like on a tea break half the time. Like I don't know what he was doing. I'm I lean more towards Jamie's perspective where I did like some of the performances. I didn't like some of the others. Some of James' lines, the way he delivered them, it was it sound some of them sounded funny to me. And under under understanding that when this game came out I was four. So I obviously I'm not into I'm not gonna be into David Lynch. I this is the first time I've ever played a Silent Hill game. I don't have that connection with the inspiration. I don't have that connection with the series. I don't have that connection with this game. So 
if there's an homage there, it's completely lost on me. Like I said, I'm not. De- I'm like I said, I'm not defending all of it, but I would say a. It's a hill I'll die on. The, the voice acting, for the most part, is fine. But the, but I, I I will say that the Jamie, you mentioned the hook of the game and wanting to see it through. That the overall premise and as the plot was developing, I was so interested in what was going on that the voice acting it might have taken me out of it for maybe a moment or two, but it never stopped me from being invested. The actual story element of this game is so enthralling and so gripping that even though I was having the worst time of my nervous little life playing it, I just I I was absolutely hooked to like unravel the the narrative. It's so strong, and I'm I don't even know what it is that makes it so good, but it has it, doesn't it? It has that. That's why I was I was so interested in hearing Josh's perspective when we said we're going to play it because. He's a lot younger than both of us. And for him to even be like, yeah, this really hooked me in. This really, you know, affected him in a certain way. That just shows how how much love they put into it. Because so many years later and so many generations or two or three generations by now are still getting, you know, out of nowhere getting hit by this game. That just, there's so much to it. There's so much little details that we can get into. It's It's a very special game. So we're not alone in Silent Hill. There's a lot of other characters who are either there on their own will or trapped there or something. And Angela is the first character we meet. You essentially right as you start the game, you meet her at this at the cemetery. And um, she's got some issues and she's got some struggles. It's very apparent that she's traumatized. She's at a grave, but she's looking for her mother, and she and she mentions her father and her brother. So, I mean, if we look at her arc specifically, I think it is really interesting in the way that at first, you know, there's a lot of loss here. Something really bad's happened. The second time we're seeing her, she's with a knife. She's lying on the floor, sort of contemplating suicide and being quite hostile to you. She gets no. She, not only does she get hostile to you, she gets scared of you and runs out of the room. Yes, you, it kind of flips on the dime. So, you, so like emotionally, you can tell she is feeling unbalanced and sort of flipping between these emotions. And then near the end of the game, in one of the more horrible parts, uh, you hear her kind of reliving being abused by her father, like being sexually uh, abused by her father. And you go in and you see the manifestation of his father, which is this horrible like bed figure rusting thing and you destroy it and like weirdly she doesn't yeah i think what you're expecting as a character is her to like throw her arms around you and go thank you and you've saved me and it isn't that she is upset with you she's hostile for you and she's not thankful it's like she's going you've taken this away from me this she like immediately goes and kicks this thing to death after you've like shot at it and defeated it She's like, I'm not going to give you that closure of just, you know, you've come in and you've saved me. She's quite a, uh antagonistic character. She's very mentally, she's very, very, very mentally damaged. And she doesn't know, sometimes she thinks you're her mother. A lot of times she seems very confused. And a lot of times she just seems so broken. All she wants to do is find her mother. I guess the one good thing in her life. And her brothers, uh, presumably her father and presumably her brother were very abusive towards her in one way or another. And, you know, it's kind of like a contract parallel to uh, James. He's coming there to find his wife. She's trying to find his mother, 
she's trying to find her mother, but he also kind of mentions he he mentions her his her mother to her, and she kind of flips out on him. I mean, gist of Silent Hill is everyone kind of sees something different. No one really sees the same thing. Everyone's there for their own reasons. And uh, at the end of the game, you see what Angela sees. And it's nothing about fire. Just everything's just burning. And that uh, she's like, this is this is what I'm seeing. And then she walks the flaming staircase. And that's the last you see of her. And I think the first hint you get that Silent Hill isn't actually just the verbatim truth, but it's everyone's personalized vision of what they are struggling through is when you meet Eddie and uh, hands up the worst vomiting sound I've ever heard in the game. That was absolutely disgusting. Side note, I had to play this game. So (laughs) we've got a main TV in the living room, but uh, so that I don't have to drag my girlfriend through a sort of a backseat ride of every game that we play. I play on the second TV, which, uh, unfortunately is in the darkest corner of the room uh to which i have to put headphones on so i'm not interrupting oh, my girlfriend playing marvel movies in the background and because my uh headphone cord isn't very long i'm quite close to the tv so i played this game in the worst combination of ways on my own with headphones on really close oh, to the shit. TV. so you didn't have your, so your girlfriend wasn't there to console you she was not she cared not for that and hearing that, that vomiting was absolutely, it was so wet, it was disgusting. But he Very kind spot of on. says, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and you've seen Pyramid Head by this point, uh, which, you know, we'll talk about briefly, but, you know, he's absolutely vulgar. But Eddie's like, uh, what? what? What do you mean monsters? Like, he's seeing his own version of this. So everyone's going through their sort of own version. And obviously his story is one of sort of being bullied and repressed and sort of acting out too much. Everyone's everyone's got like this sort of guilt on their shoulder that is taking them to Silent Hill. We're talking about all these characters, these different characters that see things. The one that doesn't really see anything is this little girl, Laura, who was in the same hospital as Mary and was friends with Mary and was, grew very fond of her and very close of her. To the point you find out that she actually wanted to adopt Laura. Uh, not much is known about her outside of the game because they didn't really say why she's in the hospital. I'm guessing she's an orphan. So we don't really know much of her, but she's the only one that's like, she can walk around and nothing happens to her because she doesn't see anything. Am I right in saying that like all the other characters, they're on their own journey, but uh, Laura and Maria, they are like manifestations of your journey of it. Laura. Okay. Is she real? (sighs) Laura is a real person because there is because James does have that note of her of that Mary wrote her that Mary gave the nurses to give to both uh, James and Laura after Mary passed. Since we're talking about Ma- Maria, let's talk about Maria. Let's do it. What is Maria? Good question. I'm hoping you can tell me because I played through this whole game and I have no idea. Maria, you meet her randomly. You um, James is walking. He goes to I guess believe the lake. He finds her there, and she's just right off the bat, seducing the fuck out of him. She's all she's thirsty for James this entire mm-hmm. fucking time. She's like, "Oh hey, you know, I don't like, you know, I don't look like a ghost, do I?" Very sed- seductive. From the moment you know that there's something going on with her, there's a lot more to her than she looks. I'm gonna I'm gonna get right into one of the big things. You watch her die more than once. In this game. In my mind, this is confirmation that she's not real. She looks similar to... She looks familiar. She's a costume change away from James's old wife. (laughs) 
she's the same but completely different personality wise. Personality wise, like she has like a a low cut shirt. She's like a tattoo on her stomach. Her you you her hair is different. Her attitude and everything's completely different. But looks exactly like his wife. And he's just like, "What the fuck is going on? You look like my dead wife." And she's like, coming on to him almost the entire time. And uh, if she's not coming on to him, she's either you know screaming at him um or she is crying for him for help or she's dying <laughs> <laughs> one of the three it's interesting because there's so many depending actually even depending on the ending there's so many different things that are going on like you find her she's caught when you're walking through the town she's sometimes she's coughing and then you're in the hospital you leave her in there and you see that she has pills that she's taking medication for something and then that's one time you find her, she commits suicide. And another time, you know, one of the most impactful moments of the game is um, Pyramid Head is chasing you down a hallway and she's right behind you. And one of the best moments of the game, he goes in the elevator and she's right behind him. And then all of a sudden she gets penetrated by this huge sword and she's reaching out to him. And her hand, you know, is just doors clo- as the door is closing, she's trying to reach out to him and it's too late. And then James just breaks down, sits on the floor. Elevator low, uh, lowers from just sitting there, and then you see this beautiful shot. The door's just opening, and James is just sitting there. Mm. So, uh, Jane, um, Jamie, how do you feel about that? <laughs> um, like, I mean, for me, maybe I'm taking this maybe too black and white, but uh, an obvious, just symbolic representation of his wife and the guilt he has towards what happened uh towards the end of her life so uh, you know without going into yeah maybe we'll probably touch on this later but she dies she commits suicide and she is like all the sort of bad things about james she keeps she brings out the worst in james and there's this idea um that you know what, what james did towards the end of mary's life does he consider that assisted uh, euthanasia does he consider that murder does his how he feel about that change that and sort of haunt him and maria is is that in a, in a person really okay so one, one of the most pinnacle scenes of the game if not the most defining moment of the game at least when it comes to Mar- uh, to maria is you enter his room and you see that she's still alive and you have this conversation he's having this conversation with her and she's kind of just like Answering of non-answers of what he's trying to ask her. Like, he's, he's kind of like, ignoring who he was saying, she's just kind of saying, hey, uh, you know, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? Like, are you confusing me with somebody else? And he just goes, you know, aren't you Maria? And she goes, I'm not your Mary. And he responds with, you know, are you Maria? And she says, I am if you want me to be. And then, you know, as the scene goes on, you just see her and her starting to seduce him. And she's saying, you know... It doesn't matter who I am. I'm real. And she touches him. A popular theory is, and that's something I kind of believe in. She is a manifestation of Silent Hill. But I think she's kind of gained the self-consciousness of what she is. And she doesn't want to be just a vessel to get killed, to punish, you know, to as punishment towards James. She wants to be real. And that's kind of why she kind of... It's trying to turn against what she was designed for, if you get what I'm saying. I think, and especially having gone through the game, at the end you see Maria, but she's she's now dressed like Mary in a hospital gown. 
and she's essentially the, the final boss. She still says she's Maria, and then she turns into the final boss. And I, I think for me, my take was that she still is a manifestation, and it has to do with the fact that James, in his head, is punishing himself. And this level of torture that comes from seeing this woman die, who looks exactly like his wife, she's, is she his wife? Is she not? And like keeping him going back and forth, but also um, learning to kind of be a companion to her, yet watch her constantly die and then still wondering, who is this person? Is she my wife? Is she not? I, I think it's... I do think it's a manifestation and I think it has to do with he's still mentally punishing himself. So let's uh, briefly touch some of the um, monsters that James sees. One would be the, uh, the sexy nurses, the bobbleheads, the bobble, the bobblehead nurses, uh, which pretty much represent his sexual desires and also his contempt towards the hospital for Mary not getting better. There's the mannequins, which is the two-legged things that uh, we pretty try to grab James with their leg. You have the, the spitters of the uh, straitjackets that kind of represent Mary being sick and he spits something on you. You have uh, the, the abstract daddy that represents Lisa Angela, her father, and her trauma. And then we have everyone's favorite, the main star of the show, Pyramid Head. My best friend. That is just where do we even begin? Uh, basically, represents uh, James's guilt and the truth about what happened to Mary, among other things. There's a lot to unpack with Silent Hill too, and we could sort of get lost in its meaning and its narrative. Um, but at the end of the day, it is still a horror game, and you got to have a f- something, an effective boogeyman, we'll say for the for players to be afraid of and i gotta say pyramid head's quite up there this character doesn't even it's it's so simple it's just a guy and a giant metal triangle on his head with a giant knife and you see him and you're gonna turn around and run the opposite direction he just his presence alone he doesn't say anything he doesn't he doesn't really do anything he's just uh, he just walks toward you and uses his giant knife and that's it and let me tell you those were the moments i was i was genuinely scared his introduction was so subtle you're just walking down a hallway you turn around and he's just there and you walk toward he just he's just he's not he's motionless he's just looking at you and you're looking at him and you're like i hope i do not have to fight him if i go in that room right there there's so many horrible. There's so many horribly terrible things they've done right in that. Like, so you've. You, it's the first time you're in a small environment. You're going through the apartments. You're in these really narrow doorsteps. You don't know what really to expect. Everything's really tense at that point. And then you see him, and you're like, he's separated to you by like this bar gate. So you know he can't get to you. And as you said, Tony, he's just looking at you, just like, yeah, I know you're there now. And what's worse about that is then you have to just continue going along the corridors just knowing he exists and knowing he's in the same vicinity to you and that was really effective and then when you do encounter him he's doing something <laughs> to those mannequins and you're just hiding in the closet watching <laughs> oh, he's always like doing these horrible things to these mannequins which looks terribly aggressively sexual it's so horrible 
<laughs> I hated it. Tony, why don't you take us away with the various endings of Silent Hill 2? So uh, the climax of the game is uh, you find out that James killed Mary. He, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, or it kind of slightly altered depending on what ending you get, uh, is James just wanted to pit Mary out of her misery and he suffocated her with a pillow um, for both to bear or no, to end her severing also because he admits he just hated her and he wanted to move on and for his own selfish reasons he did it as well, which is why he was drawn to Silent Hill. Uh, let me just tell you, when I fucking first played this game, it was probably like one or two in the morning. I'm, I'm with James, I'm rowing my boat, I'm in, I'm in the last place. I go up the stairs and you're hearing Mary, you know, speak to you, you know, James, you know, Go away. Get away from me. What are you doing here? I told you to leave. Please come back. I love you. You know, please don't leave me. I'm so alone. I'm so scared. Then you go in there and you find out he kills her. I felt fucking betrayed, dude. I felt so betrayed. I was just like rooting for James the entire time. It was just me and James in Silent Hill. We're going to find our fucking wife, man. We're going to find her. We're getting out of here. We're figuring this out, man. It's just me and you. You know, I'm riding shotgun. And he's like, oh, I killed her. I'm like, what? No. Come on, man. That broke my heart. This is one of the... This hit me so hard. It hit me so hard. And even all the, after all these years, it hit me. I just remember the feeling. It. My, just my gut. I just felt... It's like, damn, dude. I haven't really felt like that since. I think the closest I came is maybe uh, the end of The Last of Us. That end moment. Uh, that's the last time I was just like, damn, dude. It was just... I felt it. And I felt it so hard. It was a gut punch. This game is him struggling with that. Like, uh, what he did, was it actually for her or was it, um, or was some of that tied into the sort of feelings of what she, you know, the disease had done to his life and that sort of selfishness. And depending on what ending you get, that's more severe. So one ending, it's like he's quite actually resentful of her. And one, it's just like a mild, like, although I did it for you for these reasons, actually it was upsetting me and I did have guilty feelings about that. There's two endings that most people get. It's the leave with uh when he leaves with Laura or potentially Laura may represent him just accepting what he did and finally able to move on. And then it also might go back to where uh in the letter among the letters you find out that Laura uh, that Mary wanted to adopt Laura when she got better. And then um there's a leave where James Mary forgives him, he forgives himself, and he's able to move on. And then there's the one of those other most common ones was in water where uh, James uh, finds out what he did, which he did is distraught, takes Mary's body, and he drives into uh, a lake, killing him, presumably killing himself. So that's the ending I got when I first played it because you get that ending by uh, not healing yourself and um, a lot, and there's various things you uh, there's various things you can do to affect your ending. Some direct. Some are obvious, some not so much. And then uh, one of the other endings, which isn't, which I think is might be possible to get the first time, is uh, where you leave with Maria. And then the twist is 
that she too is sick and you hear her coughing. He's like, okay, we got to get your medicine. Pretty much causing a loop of the grief that James has gone through. And then there's uh, one more of the main ones, but you have to get it by getting all the other three endings is a uh, rebirth where James goes to try and revive Mary by resurrecting the old gods, which is the whole thing. It's a whole mythology in Silent Hill. I might got some of the, might not be resurrecting. Might have been to do an offering to the old gods to resurrect Mary. That's very much in the lore of Silent Hill. Um, so I don't know much too much about that one. So that's something you guys have to discover on your own. And there's two joke endings. One being uh, <laughs> Spacious come and Harry from the first Silent Hill game comes in, takes James away with his alien friend. And then there is uh, the second ending, which uh, alternate ending, wacky ending that uh, Jamie's favorite. So go ahead, Jamie. So the dog ending is the best ending of the game. And you crack through a room and it gets basically like an episode of Ape Escape. And there's a dog with a big uh, like collar on and he's at this uh, station and he's basically been controlling the whole thing. It makes absolutely no sense. I saw a review of someone who got this ending for the first time and thought this game was absolute bullshit. Wait, 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 wait. Someone got that in their first playthrough? Yeah, they said they rented the game and then they that was the ending they got and they wanted their money back for it. <laughs> The odds of that happening, I don't know the conditions you have to do to get the ending. They're pretty specific, yeah. I mean, whether I believe it or not. That kind of sounds like bullshit. Because the dog ending, you get to find this doghouse, get the key, and unlock a specific door to get it. It's just in there for a laugh. The two, the UFO kind of comic book ending and the dog ending are there just generally for a laugh, aren't they? Joshua, what was your feeling at the ending you got? You got the leave ending. Yeah, I thought it was... I thought it was thematically appropriate it's sort of uh just kind of tying in you've had all these revelations you know where james is and sort of dealing with his grief and it's sort of like you're hearing this letter you're hearing this full letter so you can kind of get the full picture and you're sort of getting these final thoughts from mary and she's like hey you know i love you but i know i sucked and i and i can see that you know, I have this effect on you. And so you sort of get this emotional closure. So I felt pretty satisfied by the end of the game. You get that. I think that letter comes on for the three endings or three or four endings. No more. The letter comes every time. Okay. Depending on what. Yeah, it's very, the, the ending is very just a tad in the conversation. And I assumed Laura went with him because he was like, well, well I'll adopt you. I don't know. I mean, it's very possible. It depends on how you want to look at it. Uh, the in water one is, it's just, it's just a letter being read over. Like you see, like water, and then it's just the letter coming up. Mm. That's the one I got, and it broke my fucking heart. Like I'm not even kidding, but uh, yeah, um, that one is kind of consistent um, canon, just to touch the other Silent Hill games. In Silent Hill Four, there's a character named Walter Sullivan. He's the main antagonist of the game. He's a serial killer. He's mentioned in Silent Hill Two, in a, a passing in the letter. In Silent Hill Four, you find a letter written by James's father mentioning that he doesn't know what, where James, James just disappeared and he, he, he's nowhere to be found. Presumably the assumption is that the in water ending is canon and that James did kill himself over his grief. Yeah. It's quite peacefully done as well. It's like, Oh, I know now yeah, there's only one way to be with you uh, and I'm coming. 
All right, guys. So uh, there is so much more to talk about, like uh, all the graphics that stand out, especially the lighting. You know, the music is fantastic. The atmosphere is fantastic. But we just do not have enough time. So fortunately, we have to start cranking it down and move on to our closing thoughts. So, uh, Jamie, how did you feel about your time in Silent Hill? I genuinely enjoyed this game a lot more than I thought I would. At the same time, it was the most horrifying experience I've ever been through. I'm never doing this again for the podcast. I absolutely promise you that. It was such a terrifying experience. Um, but I suppose that means that it did well. And for that, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, Joshua, what's your score? I've played quite a few horror games, um, more emblematic of my age and i had none of them come close to silent hill 2 there's so much to this game and it's not this it's not technically this the quote unquote scariest game i've played but it is the most effective horror game i've played it just builds tension it takes pleasure in just creeping you the hell out and it just makes you uncomfortable and it just pushes you along in this state of constant unease. It does such a good job of that. But it's so much it, it's so much more than just a horror game. It's it, it's sort of like you have classic horror films like The Thing, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and you just don't get horror movies like that anymore because horror has devolved into just scare the audience as much as possible. Silent Hill, Silent Hill 2, uneasy, uncomfortable, and it makes you think after the credits roll. Um, the gameplay is not perfect in my opinion, but everything else, just really, really great job. That's a 9 out of 10 for me. Alright, um, there is a reason why this game is so highly regarded. There's a reason why it's considered one of the most influential games prior in our lifetime. At least in the past two decades. Uh, at the time that the original Silent Hill was released, and even this one was released, there was two horror games. The fun kind of horror games, Shooty Shooty Bang Bang Kill the Zombies, Resident Evil, always a good time. Never took itself too seriously. It knew well was with a wink in its eye. You win Resident Evil, you knew what you were getting. The other one was Silent Hill. The game you went into and you have no fucking idea what's you, what you're about to get, what you're getting involved with. You have no idea what to expect because it could be anything, especially the first one. It was just nothing like it. And then the second one comes out, some manages to improve everything in every possible way. Arguably, of course, there's always people who prefer the first one, the third one, or the fourth one. So... Yeah, there's a reason why this game is so beloved and why it's so celebrated and why it should be studied. It is studied is inside and out, and there's still small, minute details of people still discovering to this day. Uh, I can go on for an hour just talking about how much I love it. The music, the atmosphere, the characters, very layered. I love this game. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, I want to give it the patent PlayStation Rumble is cool, 10 out of 10. This game, even with its flaws, to me, perfect. As flawed as it is, just makes it even even better. I revisit it every couple of years, and each time I find something more and more to love about it. Um, so, 
now that we've said what we wanted to say and we're at the end of this episode uh so thank you for joining us for a one-year celebration if you enjoyed what you heard please follow us on twitter our handle is at ps rumble drop us a line on uh on our email if you got something to say uh, at playstationrumblepodcast.gmail.com. Also, check out our YouTube, where we have our back catalog of episodes available to watch, and hopefully soon, some other goodies at PlayStation Rumble. And uh, that being said, uh, goodbye. Good night. Happy Halloween. Goodbye. Happy Halloween. Honestly, I've nothing in my life has ever been this scary. I've been run over, and Silent Hill Two is scarier than that experience. Wait, can we stop at the part what, where you've you been, you've been <laughs> run over, like fully run over, like two cars smashed into each other, like I'm from si- a tea, like from a car carrying tea, or from a car carrying tea? Yeah, because what other kinds of cars are there in the UK? <laughs> or like the double decker bus? Don't you guys have those? It's not all fucking chitty chitty bang bang here and fucking. With <laughs> that disgruntled ex, and she's like, "Oh my god, there's Jamie. Let me, let me run over." <laughs> Jamie. Uh, <laughs> no, genuinely, I was at T Junction. Two cars crashed into each other, and wait, I. You, you I were at think- T Junction, like a, <laughs> wait, actually, a tea festival. <laughs> For real? Were you? Oh, were he you was at- like a tea jun- Okay. Oh. <laughs> 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 got it continue <laughs> i'm listening now i understand oh, tea con <laughs> see in the uk we have tea conventions <laughs>